Hey, this is Sammy Reinstein, and you're listening to Conversation Starters. On this show, we talk all about bringing conversations back to B2B marketing and selling. Because if there's one thing we know about doing business in the revenue era, it's that the best customer experience wins. Through the power of our own conversations with drifters, customers, and special guests, we'll learn how to deliver a sales and marketing experience that puts the buyer first. Let's get into it. Hey, Sammy. (laughs) Hey, Elizabeth. How's it going? I'm good. I'm excited to be recording episode two. It feels good to be back. I had some tea last night, warmed up the vocal cords, had some soup. Ooh, soup. What kind of soup? I had some miso soup. I got sushi for self-care Tuesday. Oh, love self-care Tuesday. (laughs) Can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with self-care Tuesday. And I ordered from Uber Eats, as I always do, because their notifications they know me a little too well. <laughs> like, you have freq- frequent Uber Eats. Frequent Uber Eats. I went through a bad stage, mostly because they were just giving me different notifications. And I was like, yeah, I guess I will order Uber Eats. It's, yeah. it's a lot easier. Now that, like, you weren't thinking about Uber Eats, but that one's that, like, hey, it's dinner time. What do you need? Exactly. You're like, oh, now I need Uber Eats. They're like, it's dinner time or it's game day or it's mm-hmm. raining. Oh, uh, the game day when it's like, you need some wings. Yes. I'm like, ah, I do need I wings. I do need You're some right. wings. Specifically, though, they just know me so well and they give very good recommendations for my taste Mm. so I've had very good experiences with the personalization there but I know there are so many people when they go through buying experiences where it's just absolutely impersonal and a very bad buying experience have you ever had something like that I've definitely had the reverse where I've tried to like DoorDash groceries and they won't I'll say I want, like, this specific type of pasta, say it's penne pasta, and then they'll just bring me macaroni. Ugh. And I'm like, well, I didn't want that. Like, <laughs> why didn't you talk to me and start a conversation about what alternatives would be? Yeah. That's frustrating and makes me not want to buy again. Whenever I have a bad buying experience, I have a very sour taste mm-hmm. in my mouth, and it definitely... Makes me want to go somewhere else or just, you know, cancel my subscription or whatever it is. There are so many options these days to stand out. You really need to have great conversations with your buyers. Especially online. Like, you can go anywhere. Well, (laughs) that is a very good segue into who our guest is today. Sarah Frazier, who is a manager of content marketing and copywriting at Drift, is coming on the podcast to talk all things personalization and I can't wait to she hear. She is a powerhouse. She's written two books recently all about personalization. You can find them on Drift.com and linked in the show notes. But I'm really excited to hear what she has to say and to dive a bit deeper into what she does and how you can make content conversational. Ah, great soundbite, Elizabeth. Thanks. <laughs> Should we dive in? Let's go. Sarah, thank you so much for joining the podcast Me and Elizabeth were really excited to have you on because we love all of the content that you create, but even more, we love you and everything. But for those who don't know you personally, can you give all of the listeners just a little bit of background about what you do at Drift, all of the amazing content that you make? 
I head up the content offers and copywriting team. So when I say offers, people normally like scratch their head and they're like, what is that? Um, offers are anything at the end of your campaign. So it could be a landing page, a book, it could be a report, it could be research, it could be a tool that you use. So like something like a, a website scraper or something that spits out results for you. All of those things are the purview of people under my team. And then I work in collaboration with a lot of the folks on the creative team. And then I work very closely with the demand gen team since they head up our campaigns. So, and then outside of that, I am in charge of the copywriting. So that if you have any qualms with any of the copy on our page, I am the person that you need to speak to immediately. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a sort of the, the long and short of it. I love it. So you could say you're having a lot of conversations with many people across many teams. My goodness. Dad (laughs) jokes. I love it. Dad jokes. Yes. Yes. Uh, I work and collaborate with a lot of people on specifically the marketing team, but uh, I also head up with uh, the lovely Delaney, our webinars, and I help out with events. So I get to work with a lot of people outside of Drift as well, which is super awesome. Um, And we created a lot of like really good partnerships with companies like Asana and Adobe through that. So no, it's definitely, it's a, it's a ton of fun. I want to tell you a little story before we dive into all of our questions. I was recently with my mother and my mom was like, Sammy, my phone is listening to me. I (laughs) was looking at, I was like talking about shoes. I was looking at shoes and then Instagram showed me those exact shoes that I was looking at. And I kind of had to explain to her like, well, mom, I don't think your phone is listening to you. There's probably other, you know, intent indicators that brought those shoes back to you. But I think there's a lot of misconceptions as it relates to personalization in the B2B space. Can you try to give me a little bit of an explanation of personalization in B2B if you were explaining it to my mom or my grandma? Sure. So first of all, no, her phone is definitely not listening to her unless she has certain apps (laughs) that have the microphone on. Those do if you are using them at the current time. And Alexa, for example, who didn't go off when I said her name is listening. (laughs) But no, uh, it's funny. People don't realize when they're online, uh, the like micro behavior that they have. So like when they hesitate on an ad, immediately the the algorithm knows like oh okay maybe they like this unconsciously you probably don't realize that you're doing those things and so it feels very honestly paranoid inducing but yeah people who don't know what personalization is you kind of already do um i think that it goes without saying that everyone wants to feel special uh and Mm -hmm. back before like let's say like the industrial revolution and You'd go to like mom and pop stores a lot more. They knew their buyers by name. They knew who they were as people. They knew their family, all of that stuff. And with technology, it's definitely kept us like more connected, but also makes us a little further apart, right? We're doing our shopping online. We're doing our shopping at home. We don't like get face to face with mom and pops anymore. And the great thing about personalization is it uses your behavior online to inform products and services that it serves up to you. And why is this better for you? Because it makes it so you're not repeating yourself and telling the same story over and over again to say if you're shopping for a new vendor. Um, So you can have curated things sent to you. Good example is ads. Ads are probably one Mm -hmm. of the best examples you could give your mom and dad because at some point somebody has probably had this haunting feeling of being watched when looking at their ad recommendations on like Instagram or Facebook. 
but most likely you are actually in control of those things happening because you are hesitating on them and showing that there's interest. But in B2B marketing, it's kind of the same jam where if you go on a site and you are exploring like the pricing page or you download an ebook, you're building a history so that when you inevitably do eventually maybe reach out to a company, that salesperson or that bot, for example, has this history of you and can serve up more relevant conversations or content that is useful for you and only you. So that is, I would say, a great definition that I can definitely bring back to my mom. I will tell her to listen to the podcast. Mom, I hope you're listening. I think it's interesting, you know, you bring up how personalization has really evolved and potentially consumers or even some B2B marketers um, you know, a few years ago might have thought as personalization as maybe a little creepy or something along those lines. But really now today, it's pretty much expected. I expect when I am doing my online shopping or looking at marketing technology, that it will be personalized to me. And you touch on that in your new book, The State of Personalization. Can you talk a little bit about your book and some key findings that you found? Sure. So I think while we all really love those experiences, a lot of us shrug, struggle as marketers to deliver them for our buyers. Mm-hmm. And it's it's frustrating to both marketers and the buyers themselves because I think everybody knows that there is a pro, an internet, internet profile of you that has been built and there are people have data on you somewhere and it builds up over time. So like companies no, should know you, but they have a really difficult time connecting the dots. So one of the things that we found in the report, we asked um, a bunch of marketing leaders at companies like Dooley and Hootsuite, um, specifically, you know, how successful have you been at delivering personalization at your company for your buyers? And like 57%, don't quote me on that, something more than 50% uh, said that they don't think that they're doing a good job, despite the fact that they have this plethora of data in the back end. Um, And a lot of it has to do with, I think, just not having a really clear strategy of what you want to do with that data. And uh, I think a lot of people, especially myself, you can see when companies are struggling with that. So personalization isn't shouldn't just be like the name token at the top of an email, like, congratulations, you know, my name is Sarah, good for you. Like, I don't care. The personalization part is something a little like, seemingly more paranoid like your mom was getting is when they serve up things that you that feel relevant to you or like conversations right. you have that feel relevant to you. And a lot of the things that uh, we talked about in the report was how could companies be doing this better? And really it is getting away from this mindset of it's like, you know, your, your name sewed on a shirt mentality. It goes back mm-hmm. to like, are you delivering things that are of interest to me. Um, right. And so companies trying to come up with better ways to do that. And that was probably one of the biggest takeaways from the report. And we kind of take the reader through, okay, here's what the state of the world is, which is generally how you start anything like this. Um, and like, how are different marketers feeling right now? How is that impacting what they're trying to do? How is it impacting their business revenue? And then like, what can we do about the problems that we're seeing today? Yeah. Yeah, it is so much more powerful, let's say, in a drift bot where you can just customize, hey, company name versus, hey, company name, and then something, if they know that I'm in financial services, making that opening more personalized to me, making the offer more personalized to me, that 
is a lot, you know, goes a lot further than just, hey, Sammy, or maybe (laughs) there's no even first name at all. And they mess up my first name in the email. Right, exactly. Like, your mom knows your name, too. Like, nobody's nobody's celebrating the fact that you know my name. It's, It's the going the extra mile and putting in the extra effort. I think that's really the key. And one of the things that, you know, we already kind of touched on is doing that level of detail often seems hard. And one of the things we talk about in the book is actually personalization is scalable. You don't have to break the bank doing it. I love that. I think that's that's a quote right there. Um, I want to read a little blurb from sure. the report. So in this report, the 2021 State of Conversational Marketing Report, we say... Personalization is no longer a nice-to-have feature of conversational marketing strategies. It's a necessity. Our research shows buyers' expectations for quick, personalized experiences have grown by 26%. B2B marketers are expected to deliver relevant content to their customers through preferred communication channels that match their buying journey stage. So lots right there to unpack. But one thing that I'm hearing throughout that quote is buyer. There's a, you know, it's about the buyer and the buyer's preferences and the buyer's preferred communication channels and us matching those preferences. Can you talk a little bit about the buyer centric mindset and the stakes that that holds for businesses? Sure. So nobody really likes to feel like they're being sold to. Buyers are extremely smart. They know when it's happening. And so a lot of companies and some of the most successful companies in the world particularly consumer brands, have really embraced this like buyer-centric mindset, which honestly sounds like a bunch of BS, but you see it in practice every day. So a good example of this is a company like Apple. Apple sells a lifestyle. They show It's sort of the show me that you know me mentality. They show through their marketing, through the products they're building, that they know their customers and they're serving those things up to their customers. Um, and a lot of Companies do this in different ways. So it could be within B2B marketing, we have customer advisory boards. We use that to inform product roadmaps. But then it gets to the level of marketing, which I think a lot of people uh, expect when we're talking about personalization. But really, it's, it should be embedded in every single level of what your company builds, makes, sells, to the conversations that you're having. It's embedded everywhere. Um, and if anything, personalization is an extension of a buyer-centric mindset. So, mm-hmm. for example, having a customer advisory board is a really good way to get that feedback in at the ground level and to truly live out this buyer-centric mindset, which is our buyers should be leading um, the growth of our company. They're at the tail end, but we should be really pulling them into even every stage of our own like company journey. So, I think... Where before, I don't know, back maybe in the, the 50s, like door-to-door salesmen meant that as well. Uh, but for them, it was all about selling a product. Really, for companies today, it should be about helping versus selling. So, like, mm-hmm. how can you solve my pain, specifically my pain, and make my life easier? And I think a lot of companies have embraced that. Some have just been better at uh, visualizing that for customers today. Yeah, it's a great point. The show me that you know me and making sure that you're doing that, not just in the buying cycle, but also for customers. And once someone has bought in, making sure that you're also helping, not selling and making sure that they're healthy and getting them to that place, being a trusted advisor. And then they're going to trust you that much more. 
Right. And I think that's the like that's the promised land for B2B companies is the when you can transition people from seeing you as more than a vendor to a trusted advisor, like that's peak. That's like what every I, that's gold. If a customer says that to you on a call that you are a trusted advisor, that's just like wow, chef's kiss. Yeah, because when you aren't seen as a trusted advisor and you feel like you're, you're being you're sold to, to, yeah. You're it's supposed awful. To. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had an experience like that where you've just had an absolutely impersonal experience when you've been trying to buy something? I, yes. So I do. I have a very, and you know, I say consumer brands are really good at this, but they're also really bad at this in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And a lot of it has to do, again, goes back to how are you using the data on the customers you have? So I have this example that I could give you of, I was signing up for a credit card or looking to add a new credit card. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go to my bank, my actual bank that I have and see what they have to offer. And so I tried to sign up for one. And my God, they could not, like, they could not pull through. I couldn't fill out the application online. Um, they had a difficult time, like, pulling my information. They have all the information they need on me and like, <laughs> that they could possibly need on me. And I had to go into the bank. I had to fax something from the bank. It was just this really annoying process because I was like, I've had you for over a decade as my primary bank, and it's this hard to get a credit card with you. How, how wow. is that possible? And it, it's a very specific example, but I think there's a lot of cases where we often, as consumers, find ourselves repeating ourselves a lot mm-hmm. to businesses. And I think that's frustrating because it really does make people not want to have one-on-one interactions. And it really makes yep. people wonder, like, why am I doing business with the, this company in the first place? You never want that to be the case when someone's seeking new services from you. So I feel like that's yeah. probably fairly the common example that a lot of people could probably relate to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, A, I didn't even know fax machines were still a thing. Oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> How to even fax something over. (laughs) But B, it goes back to show me, you know me. You were already a customer. And I'm sure this was extremely frustrating to the point where maybe you were considering going to a different bank and getting a a different credit card. Like the stakes are really (laughs) high. They are. Yeah, no, I mean. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Whichever bank, if you're listening. (laughs) I I am. It takes. It takes really like one bad interaction like that, something so seemingly frustrating where I, you know, there's, this wasn't something that happened over one day. This is something that happened over multiple days. And it just feels frustrating because we all know the technology exists to do this like that, like simply and easily. So it's frustrating when they can't get their, their shit together, so to speak, uh, to help one of their own customers get some services. So. Yeah, no, it's, it was not a pleasant experience, I will say. Yeah. Well, it's very clear that you know the power of personalization. So in your day-to-day as a content marketer, how do you think about bringing personalization into your content strategy? That's a good question. And I mean, you could talk about it from a service level. So like actually curating content for, say, like maybe an ABM campaign. You have a landing page. You can do a form fill and you can like essentially have someone's name at the top of something, deliver things specific for their company. But really, the best personalization that happens within a content strategy happens at the campaign level during our integrated campaigns. So campaigns should really house the level of personalization that we're looking to do. And then the offers that fall underneath of that are informed by everything in the campaign. So we, this is very timely. 
uh, we're doing our integrated campaign planning right now. Um, the demand gen marketers are building out their campaigns. We're working in collaboration with them. And they're having things like, what's the court messaging? What's the audience? What are the channels that we're looking to do? And then we go in and we say, okay, what are the offers that maybe exist that need to be revamped or offers that we need to create? Offers, again, being content uh, to fulfill sort of the criteria of this campaign. And that actually is really where a good amount of personalization, it happens behind the scenes and it doesn't seem as obvious, but it's so important because it it is how literally your mom got that really creepy ad from that company is because she was a target demographic for that ad campaign, which lives in a campaign somewhere. Uh, so it really is like at the foundational level where personalization happens. At least in my opinion, there's definitely like some really cool things that other companies are doing. Uh, companies like Uberflip and Intelomize are really great at like personalizing like content online. Really awesome at doing that. Um, and again, it goes back to like using data properly to serve up those experiences. But from a very foundational level, that should happen with the campaign. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. And my mom did buy the shoes. So <laughs> we knew. It, was it does it work. It exactly. <laughs> um, well, I, I have one last question for you. You create a lot of content, but you also have a lot of conversations. How can people use content to spark conversations with buyers? So I think it goes back to a lot of what we already talked about, which is mm -hmm right at the beginning. We're moving beyond, especially in content marketing, the spray and pray mentality. A lot of inbound marketing has this where you create a piece of content and you send it to your entire database. It, it, it doesn't work anymore. You should be able to segment your buyers and understand what's the kind of content that they're interested in based on the stage they are in their journey, um, based on their previous history and interests and really using content to spark conversations means that you are having relevant and meaningful conversations. So for example, a salesperson should be able to go in and see, oh, they started reading our Forrester report. Awesome. I'm going to reach out and say like, what did you think? Hey, I saw this really like prevalent stat for you and your company. Let's dive into it. I'd love to hear more about like some of the pains that you're experiencing. Using content that way. And also I think it ties really well into how are we also enabling sales? We enable mm -hmm. sales through content. We help them spark better conversations, more meaningful conversations with buyers by enabling them with the content that we have. Because um, like one-on-one -on -one conversations is really uh, often sales territory. So it's really giving them the tools that they need and the his historical data and the content they need to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot at Drift about the sales and marketing relationship. And I think especially with a content team, that is so important, making sure that sales have the right content so they can continue those personalized and meaningful conversations. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think product marketing here has been really great at partnering with content as well, and then linking that up with, with our, our sellers, which is awesome. Um, and they really sort of steer the ship and are the feedback loop for us of here's what sales is saying that they need, here's where their area of focus is. And it's really nice to sort of have that uh, continuous feedback loop. So we know as we're building new things, like right now for the integrated campaigns, we have that in the back of our minds. Uh, so we're creating things that are relevant for not just our buyers, but also our sellers who really are on the front lines of everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Sarah, I heard a few amazing pieces of nuggets that I'm going to take into my own work. You know, personalization is a necessity. Show me you know me and be a trusted advisor, buyer-centric mindset, and you'll be able to have really meaningful conversations. And I have really appreciated this meaningful conversation that we have had today. Oh Thank God, you so Sammy. much. Feeling is mutual. <laughs> the feeling is mutual. I love uh, that. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Have a good day. I thought that was a great episode. That was awesome. I love Sarah. I feel like I always learn something new whenever I'm talking to her. And she's very, doesn't beat around the bush. Like, this is how it is. And yeah. Yeah. She's she's awesome. She's really good at describing things, which is why I wanted her to have that definition at the beginning of the episode. Yes. And Sarah actually interviewed me for the role that I'm in now. And in the interview, she said, explain conversational marketing like you're talking to your 10-year-old cousin. And I have used that in the back of my head throughout this entire process and job when I'm thinking about questions or thinking about writing to customers. How can I not use jargon or anything like that? Yeah. So she's so great at what's that. your answer? How do you? How do you? <gasps> okay. <laughs> now she's Let's putting me on the it. spot. <laughs> I always use a candy store example because A, I have a sweet tooth mm -hmm. and B, oh, yeah. I think it's a universal experience. Everyone loves candy. If you don't... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a savory store. Yeah, we're... Imagine, imagine this in a Imagine we're in like a meat market. I don't know. <laughs> so imagine your 10-year-old self walking into a penny candy store. That's something I used to go to a lot as a kid. My mm -hmm. mom would give me a dollar and we would go around. So if I'm in that penny candy store and there's that bell, right, that I can ring for mm. the concierge to, to come up and help me with my candy and be a trusted advisor as <laughs> I pick out my candy, imagine that if I rang that bell, uh, no one showed up, A, and B, they just sort of slid me a piece of paper that was like, Neh, fill out your name, fill mm. out your email, come back in 24 <laughs> as <a seven> hours. <laughs> as a seven-year-old, right? Like, no, I would be out the door. I would find a different candy store. And B, I would find something else to entertain myself. Like, I don't yeah. need the candy. I would find something else. Or I would there's go to a different candy things, store. Yeah. Exactly. So conversational marketing is like, if I ring that bell, there's always someone there to start that conversation with me and help me out and be that trusted mm. advisor. So, you know, when you think about bots, it's kind of like anywhere you go on the website, there's that bell that's there. But then what Sarah's talking about, there's an added element, of course, an advanced element of the personalization where... It, not only am I ringing that bell, but it's personalized conversation to me. Show me you know me. I'm yeah. having a personalized conversation with someone who's really under taking the time to understand my needs and my challenges. That's a great answer. Wow. You really, <laughs> you really have it down. Love the penny candy example. Um, I thought she, uh, I really liked her um, analogy to like the brick and mortar, like yeah. when you go in and talk to someone, because it should be the same if you're on a website right. or walking in somewhere everything we talk about is conversations and starting conversations and being conversational and we all experience conversations in our whole life right i mean we grew up having all of these conversations it's just taking everything you know and applying it in a different manner and in a different type of technology thanks so much for listening to conversation starters if you liked this episode please leave us a six star review by clicking the link in the show notes and hit subscribe so you never miss another one. You can connect with me on Twitter at Sammy Reinstein 
and follow all of our shows at Drift Podcasts. 